Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. When Diplomacy Fails presents... Hello and welcome to When Diplomacy Fails. Hey guys, welcome to When Diplomacy Fails. Welcome to When Diplomacy Fails. Hello and welcome to Hello When Diplomacy Fails. Hello and welcome fails. to When Diplomacy Fails. A project five years in the making. The Franco-Prussian War. The Seven Years War. Of the When Diplomacy Fails special on Napoleon. The Crimean War. To When Diplomacy Fails special on World War I. The Dutch Revolt. To the When Diplomacy Fails special on the Thirty Years War. The July Crisis Anniversary Project. The Swedish Deluge. Britain goes to war. The 1916. To the Franco-Dutch War of 1672. This is When Diplomacy Fails. Remastered. This is the second part of When Diplomacy Fails Remastered Look at the Austro-Prussian War, which originally aired as one episode on the 11th of November, 2012. You're very welcome back to the Austro-Prussian War. Last time we examined Bismarck, a character whom we established was essential for the development of European history, and we also covered his gradual emergence into Prussian regional and foreign politics. As his star very gradually rose in Berlin, Bismarck would learn of the ascension to the throne of France of Napoleon III, who had seized power in the 1848 revolutions, making his reign emulate that of his uncle in an 1852 ceremony. Bismarck, correctly as it turned out, believed that Napoleon III was critical for his plans to better Prussia's position in Europe. To do this he would need to manipulate the French and simultaneously make Vienna fear the possibility that Berlin was cozying up to Paris at their expense. Let's examine how he got on. But first, a 20-second advertisement for When Diplomacy Fails on Patreon. So, just to remind you, When Diplomacy Fails is on Patreon. Go to www.patreon.com forward slash When Diplomacy Fails and you can sign up to be a ranked member, which means you'll get some serious advantages. You will know that you're helping this podcast thrive and be advanced 
and you'll get some nice rewards yourself. So check that out now. Yeah, that was 20 seconds. That wasn't too bad. Okay, so <laughs> thanks for listening, guys. I will now take you to 1853. The events which cannot be prevented must be directed. Prince Metternich. Otto von Bismarck pondered his next move. Would he move openly against the Austrians by publicly advocating an alliance with France? In a brilliantly quotable letter, wherein he wrote of his feelings about the future of Prussia's relationship with Austria, addressed to Bismarck's conservative peer and adjutant of the Prussian king, Leopold von Gerlach, in late 1853, Bismarck stated definitively that Our politics have no other exercise room other than Germany, not least because of the way we have grown and intertwined with it, and Austria hoped desperately to use this fact for itself. There is no room for both of us as long as Austria makes its claims. In the long run, we cannot coexist with each other. We breathe the air out of each other's mouths. One must yield or must be yielded to the other. Until then, we must be enemies. I regard this as an unignorable fact, if you will pardon the word, however unwelcome it might be. But Leopold von Gerlach wasn't content to just keep receiving Bismarck's letters, he wanted to write some of his own too. Recently the Austrians had been granted a powerful new president of the Frankfurt Federal Assembly in the form of Anton Prokesch Count von Osten, a much-loved writer and historian in the German-speaking world, of course, this meant that Bismarck hated him, but he also hated him because he was competition, and very effective competition at that. But von Gerlach disagreed with both Bismarck's opinion of von Osten, and the stance that Bismarck was determined to take against Austria, Gerlach wrote. The true nature of the Union is that Prussia has a singularly odd relationship to Germany, and with it a claim to domination, independent of Austria. Just as important is the union of Prussia with Germany, and in this union it must unite first with Austria. Bismarck wouldn't have taken this lying down, as his plans for Austria necessitated the reduction of its power. Why be partners when you can rule alone over everything, was the real question, but Bismarck and Prussia itself would be slightly distracted over the coming years. You see, the Balkans began to heat up, and Napoleon put one part of his series of plans into order. Russia sent troops into the Danubian principalities, and the Ottoman Empire was forced to respond in kind. As we know, war erupted. This, of course, was the Crimean War. Britain and France then prepared to formulate their own response, and Bismarck saw an opportunity to make something out of the situation for Prussia. Ever the opportunist, Bismarck wrote to the Prussian king, urging him to raise an army and become a key player in the upcoming events, and perhaps capitalise on Austrian or Russian weakness and seize some of Germany for itself. Bismarck wrote, with 200,000 men, your majesty would at this moment become the master of the entire European situation, would be able to dictate the peace and win for Prussia a worthy position in Germany. Such blatant calls for war seem almost out of character for Bismarck, but he could tell which way the wind was blowing. A large Prussian army at Europe's centre would instantly have become the wild card in the Crimean War. Britain and France would have done anything to harness it, Russia would have done anything to halt it, and Austria, perhaps threatened with a large Russian army to her east, would have been intimidated into relinquishing some territory in exchange for future support. Failing that, possession was nine-tenths of the law. At this stage, Bismarck was not above the idea of suggesting that Prussia simply play upon Austrian fears 
and take what they want while the going was good. The only thing stopping such a strategy was the Prussian king himself, Frederick William IV, when he replied to Bismarck that, A man of Napoleon's sort can commit such acts of violence, I cannot. But Bismarck was in many ways right to seek a solution while Austria was preoccupied, since Austria was surely angling for the exact same thing. As the Crimean War dragged on and the relationship between the Austro-Prussian camps and the German Confederation became more acidic, Austrian policy moved towards a closer and friendlier relationship with the German states in order to isolate Prussia further in the regional spectrum. Bismarck knew he had to watch these moves, as they could very easily endanger whatever fragile alliances Prussia already enjoyed in the German Confederation, while Bismarck also had to remain aware of the now barely veiled desire of Austria to completely remove Prussia from the equation. On the 22nd of March, 1854, von Osten, remember the guy representing Austria in the Federal Assembly, wrote a very telling letter to the Austrian Foreign Secretary concerning exactly what he'd like to do with Prussia. He wrote, I never expected an honest game from the Prussian side and often ask myself whether we could not just put together a coalition and when we have it, use it with the help of the sea powers to reduce Prussia to a harmless size. We shall never get rid of this rival as long as it has its strength, and still less when it grows. Six days later, France and Britain officially declared war on Russia, and on the 20th of April, 1854, Prussia signed an offensive, defensive alliance with Austria. The act might seem surprising, but both states recognised that the Anglo-French declaration against Russia had changed the game. Stability in Central Europe was a major incentive in Berlin, but for purely practical purposes, Austria had signed the pact, mainly to persuade Russia to move itself out of the Danubian principalities and away from its eastern border. Austro-Prussian heads of state met to discuss the possibility of formulating a joint strategy with regard to the war, and how their own lumping of states were uncomfortably close to its events. On the 24th of June, 54, the smaller German states agreed to follow whatever policy the two German juggernauts went with, even if that meant war. Obviously Bismarck was adamantly opposed to the current deals on going with Austria, even though they probably demonstrated for the first time how the Austro-Prussian German Confederation was really supposed to work. On the 10th of May, 1854, Bismarck wrote to his brother saying that, At the sound of the first shot against the Russians, we shall turn ourselves into the whipping boy for the Western powers, and let them dictate to us the terms of peace while we carry the burden of war. This is a fact as clear as a school arithmetic exercise. This suggests that Bismarck would have lent in Russia's direction rather than the Western Allies, though we should bear in mind that at this point Bismarck wasn't running the show, he was merely a diplomat. Whatever his stance, within a few months Russia began to cave under the pressure, so the Prussian or Austrian help wasn't so badly needed in the end, and yet the diplomacy didn't stop there. On the 2nd of December, 54, Austria shocked the world when her agents signed a triple alliance with France and Britain, and the hand was extended to Prussia to join in against Russia. Austria had yet to officially declare war, as we know, otherwise the Crimean War would have taken a lot more episodes than it did, but this seemed only a matter of time in coming as both Russia and, equally, Bismarck dreaded, fearing such a declaration would isolate Prussia further. And yet Bismarck still was dead set against Prussia joining the alliance, writing to von Gerlach that, 
I would absolutely not join the coalition because everyone will see that we did it out of fear and conclude that the more they frighten us, the more they get from us. Decorum alone forbids it, in my view. Seemingly in agreement with this view, Austrian Foreign Minister Karl Ferdinand von Buell wrote to the Emperor Franz Josef in early 1855, explaining what he believed would be the ideal situation for Austrian war-making. Saying, If it comes to war, I prefer that Prussia does not stray on our side. A war with Prussia, against Russia, is a great embarrassment for us. If Prussia sides with Russia, so we wage war with France and Britain against Prussia, then we take Silesia, Saxony will be restored, and we will have peace at last in Germany. For that price, Napoleon can have his precious Rhineland. When the Federal Assembly in Frankfurt rejected the motion for war by Austrian representative von Austen, he was recalled and eventually replaced. Complex negotiation followed between Austria and Prussia concerning the varied issues surrounding the German states in their mobilisation, but proceedings, as they tended to do in this period of time, advanced slowly. Bismarck seemed to have agreed to Austrian plans to mobilise, but only on the condition that they did so in every direction, in other words also against France. Bismarck had successfully played on the smaller German states' fears of a French invasion of their territory, and had provided them with the idea that war would occur either against France, against Russia, or not at all, for reasons of their own security that they couldn't ignore. Otherwise a large French army would come marching through Germany to get to Russia, and could the French armies be trusted in such a situation? Bismarck had convinced these smaller German states that France certainly could not, and thus Austria's plea for war with Russia was humiliatingly denied, as the Austrian representative Austin wrote to Foreign Minister Buell that, Austria seems today to have been put under a ban by the Assembly, and there are loud boasts that the Assembly has tamed Austria under Prussia's lead, and that, united against Austria, they will force us to negotiate. With the defeat of Russia and the signing of the Paris Peace Conference in 1856... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot... We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Russia slipped into a self reflective mood, which led it towards some much needed reforms with the help of its growing middle class a lot like what Prussia had learned 50 years earlier at the Battle of Vienna. With Russia out of the picture for the moment, could the relationship Prussia had with Austria be maintained or improved? 
There was no longer a reason for either side to fall out, right? Well, Bismarck was working on that. In short, he was looking for a reason to fall out, and he found it with France. An interesting side note before we go any further, though. Bismarck was well aware of the implications for a very important marriage, that of Prince Frederick William and Queen Victoria's youngest daughter, Victoria, on the 29th of September 1855. Such a marriage united the burgeoning Prussian crown with the erstwhile British one, at least in part. Bismarck would live to see the fruits of their marriage in the form of a healthy brood of young boys, one of whom was pegged to lead Prussia and indeed Germany one day. We know him as Kaiser Wilhelm II. When the Prussian king and eventual German Emperor Wilhelm I died in 1888, his son and heir, the sickly son-in-law of Queen Vicky, Frederick William, would ascend to the German throne. But he wouldn't last a year as he died of throat cancer, and by the end of 1888, his son, the aforementioned grandson of Queen Victoria and cousin of pretty much everyone else, would assume the position. His reign would be the last of the German and Prussian dynasties, and the foundations of these monumental events that would take place in the future were being laid now, while Bismarck was doing his very best to negotiate the diplomatic minefields of 1850s and 60s Europe. Bismarck began to warm to the idea of an alliance with France again, and he tried to set some wheels in motion towards such an end, but these ideas made him few friends. Primarily because of Napoleon's image as a revolutionary liberal who Prussia could not be seen with, conservative Prussians found the idea of a partnership with Paris somewhat difficult to stomach. But Bismarck knew better. The practical benefits of associating Prussia with France would far outweigh any non-existent possibility that Napoleon's revolutionary ideals would somehow rub off on Prussia. Now he just had to convince his mentors and supporters, notably Leopold von Gerlach, and this is where the term Realpolitik is said to have been officially born. There is no direct translation for the word Realpolitik, obviously it's a German word, though it's often defined as real or realistic politics, and this kind of summarises it to a degree, but do what works and what serves your interests perhaps does a better job of defining it. The different words and terms that Realpolitik spawned also helps to explain why it was considered so revolutionary and why von Gerlach was so reluctant to accept it. He believed it would be at the expense of the social and traditionalist taboos on which he and generations before him had been raised. Bismarck sets the core of his argument out in an epic series of letters between him and Gerlach over a four-year period, which only ended with von Gerlach's death in early 1861. In response to von Gerlach's objections, Bismarck wrote to his friend that France only interests me as it affects the situation of my fatherland, and we can only make our policy with the France that exists. Sympathies and antipathies with regard to foreign powers and persons I cannot reconcile with my concept of duty in the foreign service of my country, neither in myself nor in others. With the death of von Gerlach also came the death of Frederick William IV, which for Bismarck was surely a good and bad thing. He had known a good relationship with the Prussian king for the past few years, and would now apparently have to start from scratch. But he needn't have worried, as would soon become clear, because Frederick William's son, William, or Wilhelm I, the future first ever Kaiser of Germany, had an excellent eye for talent. This had already been shown in his appointment of Helmut von Malke, someone who we'll hear more about later. 
and William, Wilhelm, knew Bismarck by association through his late father, who had often spoken very highly of him. Wilhelm of Prussia was not about to let Bismarck's talents go to waste, and he promoted him to the position of ambassador to Russia, just as the other two major figures in Prussia, Helmut von Malke and Albrecht von Roon, the latter of whom we last saw as a tutor of the young prince, Frederick Karl, in 1848, were enjoying success themselves. This unofficial triumvirate would, in fact, have a happy ending unlike its Roman counterpart, and these three men taken together would lead Prussia through its greatest years of diplomatic power, military reform, and strategic excellence. Bismarck returned to a key position of power after his stint in Russia, and he became Minister, President, and Foreign Minister on the 23rd of September, 1862. A number of factors had conspired to place Bismarck in such a position. The first was his good friend, von Roon, who knew Bismarck would be a handy third wheel to the new image of Prussia that he and von Moltke were trying to create. The second factor that ensured Bismarck got this wonderful promotion was the Prussian king Wilhelm, who had initially been reluctant to place Bismarck in such a position, because he knew that if he gave him the position, Bismarck would want a monopoly on foreign affairs too. But William needed Bismarck. He was the only one who could defuse the situation that had escalated, thanks to the Prussian parliament's refusal to approve the new military reform bill. They refused to pass it because of the cash it would need to be implemented, and Wilhelm, who had been convinced of its necessity by all three members of the triumvirate in equal measure, knew that Bismarck would be the best man for the job of convincing those in Parliament that such reforms were needed. Wilhelm was right. Bismarck used every loophole he could find to get the reforms passed, and as a result of this, the relationship between himself, Maltke and von Roon grew stronger still. It would be right to view each man as an essential piece of the Prussian puzzle for the next dozen years. With Bismarck representing the country and fully in control of its affairs, at least in name and title, Von Moltke became chief of staff for the Prussian army, while von Roon was the Prussian minister for war, and thus the cogs for successful state were set in motion, as Bismarck would himself describe in later years, saying that Those years were the most significant of my life. I could not have moved as I did without the support of one or the other, and the same was true for their reliance on me. The three of us complemented each other splendidly. It wasn't just that Prussia was now in better hands. The population which had so scared the Prussian government before was now encouraged to grow and Prussian industry was complemented by a now hugely efficient rail network which crisscrossed all over the German states. Education improved, as did literacy rates, a fact not unnoticed by Horace Mann, the great American educational reformer who had visited Prussian schooling institutions in the early 1860s. Horace Mann wrote that, Though I saw hundreds of schools and tens of thousands of pupils, I never saw one child undergoing punishment for misconduct. I never saw one child in tears from having been punished or from fear of being punished. Jonathan Steinberg also noted the progress that Prussia was making, saying that The educated workforce found employment in industries which had begun to exploit science and technology. The Prussian universities churned out scientific pioneers, and the system of technical colleges trained generations of engineers who could apply the science to industry. The German university with its doctorates, seminars, research agendas, and the technological colleges pushed Prussia farther ahead in the struggle for dominance with Austria. The country was experiencing a rapid and startling change. Not only that, but it was doing so faster than most of its neighbours. 
There was the issue of the Prussian-dominated Zollerwein or Customs Parliament within the German Confederation, which yes, I realise adds more layers to the already complicated situation, but this greatly aided Prussian influence and power over the German lands, because from its advantageous position, Prussia was provided with rich trade benefits and plentiful opportunities for investment, industry and growth. The cautious economy of before had been thoroughly replaced by a smart, steam-powered atmosphere, all the while propelled by military policies put forward by Rune, put into practice by von Moltke, and developed on the world stage by Bismarck. After passing the test of persuading his Prussian peers in Parliament of the wisdom of the latest bill, Bismarck made himself indispensable to Wilhelm. Thus, his aforementioned promotion to the leadership of the Foreign Secretaryship was confirmed in late September 1862. For the next 25 years, Bismarck's imprint on the direction of Prussian foreign policy would be unmistakable. Now he would finally have the opportunity to put into practice the great plans he had for his homeland's future. More immediately though, with Bismarck in place next to his two allies, Prussia was in the best hands it had been arguably since the times of Frederick the Great a century before, and it was a good thing too because world affairs were about to move very fast. Those that examined Bismarck's earlier actions would have been surprised to see his apparent lack of urgency when war broke out between France and Austria in 1859. It looked on paper like the kind of conflict Bismarck had been waiting for, involving and thus distracting both his major rivals in Europe, but Bismarck had read the small print, and when the war did break out, he advised Wilhelm, though remember he was not yet Prime Minister or Fire Minister by that stage, to remain neutral. The war between Austria and France is simply called the Italian War of 1859, but it also involved a considerable number of Sardinians and a large amount of Russian interest too. In many ways it was a fascinating conflict, and its eruption only contributed to the rot in the core of the relationship between Austria and France, the peace of 1860 leaving much of northern Italy free from Austrian hands but simultaneously out of the hands of the French. With a bruised ego, Austria would surely have turned to Russia for a bit of revenge, but Russia was still a bit offended at what Austria had done in the years before, where she had appeared so close to declaring war on Russia and abandoning her in her time of need, and when British and French troops were marching up the Crimea. Devoid of allies in Europe, then, Austria turned to its former enemy in Prussia. The next four years saw the unlikely duo establish a kind of mutually beneficial arrangement, just in time for the next milestone in this story, the Second Schleswig War. The issue that Denmark had with Schleswig and Holstein had a lot to do with Prussia, Austria and the German Confederation. Holstein was the southernmost part of Denmark that contained a German-speaking majority, but it wasn't part of Denmark as a whole, much like Schleswig above it, which had been in the centre of wars between Denmark and Germany over the issue of succession to the various duchies within. The whole thing is pretty complicated, a problem which was noted by the British Prime Minister at the time, Lord Palmerston, when he noted that Only three people have ever really understood the Schleswig-Holstein business, the Prince Consort, who is dead, a German professor, who has gone mad, and I, who have forgotten all about it. The details aren't really necessary here, and I may even go back to this war at a later date at some time in the future, so for now it's just important that you know that Austria and Prussia both agreed to wage war against Denmark for the two provinces. Because of Denmark's naughty behaviour, 
Bismarck had pretty much a free hand without fear from Russian or British intervention, and the situation resolved itself by mid-1864 with Prussia controlling Schleswig and Austria controlling Holstein. I surely don't need to tell you that such an arrangement could not and did not last long. The fact that this whole debacle is often studied by students of international law and diplomacy on how not to establish a nationalistic settlement favourable to all should be enough warning that the whole arrangement would soon disintegrate. But perhaps it would have continued had a certain Otto von Bismarck not been making sure that it all fell apart. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.